Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Who do you know in your life that has retired and unretired several times before they actually reach retirement age. Well, my guest today has that distinction, and let's add that he was a self-made millionaire by the age of 30. You're going to really like this interview. Uh, he is a very special guy, and we really get into the being selfish or selfless. Ooh, this is really cool. Rob Moore is known for being a disruptive entrepreneur and is on a mission to change the way people think about business and aims to support people around the globe through his foundation. Rob, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you for having me, Jeffrey. It's good to have you all the way from the UK and, uh, you know, our good cousins over in the UK. We, we tend to refer to you as cousins, you know, especially after that big spat that we had a couple hundred years ago. But we got over that. We got over that. <laughs> hey, you're all about change. Yeah, exactly. All, you're all about changing the way people see business. How do you think, uh, how do you think people see business? And what are you really trying to do to change it? Well, I think right now, if you want to be disruptive um, in business, I think that you need to come from a place of serving and doing good for your community, your followers, your fans, your clients, the planet. I think that we've had the decades where people were maybe a bit selfish. Humans need to be selfish to survive. Don't get me wrong. We're allowed to, you know, put food on our own table. Um, But if you think about lockdown and you think about the changing of technology and social media, I think that now is the time in business to um, try and have that fair exchange where you help people and add value to their lives. And then as a result, you get paid instead of trying to get paid first. Um, I have a foundation and my personal vision, which is linked to my foundation, is to help as many people on the planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. Um, And that's the gift that I want to give to the world. And I think that we have to be more focused on our community, our county, our country, our continent, the globe, maybe even the universe, um, if we want to survive and thrive. Yeah, why do you, and I love that, and, and, and those are the values that I espouse all the time. The more you give, the more you get. You got to have a value of taking care of those that are most important to you. You heard us talking about that with the PPE um, supplies that people do. But, you know, we lead what's called the Hero Club as part of the C-Suite Network, which is a value-based organization. And we find that people who put people above profits actually do better in business. Why do you think it takes us a while to figure that damn thing out? Because I don't think we've linked selfish to selfless. I think you need both to survive in humanity. You need both in business. If you don't have profits that you can reinvest into innovation and growth and look after yourself, you have a hobby, not a business, an expensive one. Um, But of course, if it is greed at all costs, you said, I'll interrupt myself and give you an example. You said, um, you know, I became a millionaire by age 30. It was just, it was actually age 31 because I was so annoyed I missed my 30 deadline. Um, (laughs) But thinking back, no one cares if I'm a millionaire. No one cares. Why does anyone care? No one cares. They care if I become a millionaire doing good in the world and helping them with valuable products and services. Then they care because that's my fair reward. So I I think just getting that balance right between selfish and selfless, and I think it's taken us a while to figure out because naturally when you're in pain, when you're skint, 
or poor or you're struggling, what do you do? You go into selfish mode, you go into hustle mode, you go into fight mode uh, and you protect yourself. And we don't actually, I think our natural human instincts is to do that, you know, when we're in fear mode. Right. Um, and, and of course, that's um, scarcity rather than abundance. So that's why I think we don't quite get it. But I think, um, you know, I always used to think when billionaires used to say, well, it's not about the money, it's about creating value and doing good. And I always used to think, well, that's all right for you, mate, because you're already a billionaire and I'm yeah, not. You got I it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you have the money, oh, it's easy for you to say that, right? Exactly, yeah. But, I, you know, as I've, um, as I've focused less on money, I've made more money. Um, when I was in debt, nearly 50,000 English pounds sterling. I was obsessing over money every single day because I didn't have any. And I was worried about where I was going to get my next meal from or whatever. But now that I, I have retired and unretired and retired and unretired and retired and unretired, <laughs> I, mean, I don't need any more money. And I got this no. realization a few years ago. And then even in the lockdown, I don't need any more money. I'd like more money. Don't get me wrong. I have you know, 300,000 pound car. I have lots of cars, I have lots of watches. I have a house where I have a seven bedroom house. I don't, I don't need anything else. Um, so if I don't need any more money, what's the point in chasing what I don't need? Uh, okay, well, what is, what is in life that is going to do me some good if it's not money? Well, surely it's contribution. Surely that's the next level once you don't need money. And then I found that more I contribute, the more money I get. Yeah, the more you give, the more you get. I, 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 we've got to understand this as a concept. But why do you think so? You, you said this, and I love this. Because I said, hey, welcome to the club, because I made my first million by the time I was 26. And so, you know, and then the next and the next, and then you realize, hey, stop chasing that, man. You know, I had the Mercedes, I did all that stuff. Now I drive a pickup truck. If I'm, I'm afraid to kick it because it's so rusty, it might fall apart, you know, <laughs> but that, but I'm okay with that. I love that. You know, it's, it's got a cracked windshield. It's got all those things. And I've stopped worrying about those kinds of things that we were obsessed with, like made my first million, my second million, you know, whatever it is. Why, but yet you, you watch the culture of folks like you and me who are out there, you know, pontificating, counseling, giving advice, leading, being a thought leader. And they're so focused on showing that they're a success. Why do you think we still have to do that? Or why do you think those people are doing I mean, I'm kind of calling them false prophets, by the way. Okay. Um, I can't talk blanket for a stereotype. So, you know, when you say they, it depends who they is. And I think every yeah. individual is different. So I'm going to list some reasons why I think people do it. One is because they're still trying to prove themselves to the world. And I can relate to that because it took me a lot of years to kind of become more comfortable with who I am. And even in my 20s and early 30s, and even sometimes every now and again more recently, you know, maybe someone frustrates me. Maybe I've got an adversary. Maybe I get a bit of criticism online. And you kind of just want to go, hey, look, you know, this is me. And so I think some people use wealth and opulence and cars and trappings to prove themselves. I think some people think that it's the way to market on social media. Um, and they think that, you know, like clickbaity kind of stuff. I think some people think that that's what other people relate to. I think some people are trying to find their happiness in those things. You know, I have a 300,000 mm. pound Lamborghini and it does make me happy, but it only makes me happy when it is my servant rather than my master. And when it is my master, it doesn't make me happy. When it is my servant and I'm able to use it and get enjoy enjoyment out of it, but put it in the garage for four months so like I don't own it in the, in the lockdown, then, it, then it's better. So I think some people are probably a bit owned by their accolades and their material items. So I think there's four reasons why maybe people are using those things. Maybe they perceive that 
having more of a heart center, more of a focus on service and value. Maybe they perceive those things aren't going to get results. That aren't what people want to hear. It's not good for marketing. I don't know. Um, I, I definitely still have this need to prove myself, Jeffrey. And I'd love to yeah. say I don't. But, you know, I remember the things my critics said in my 20s. I remember being overweight and bullied when I was eight and nine and 10 years old. I, I'm not fully yet. This is me. This is who I am. And I don't care what anyone thinks. I do care what people think. I care what my community thinks. I care that people like my content. I care that my books sell well, maybe a bit too much sometimes. So there's probably still an element of that in me. And I'm okay with that because that makes me who I am. I think as long as it comes from a place of service and it comes from a place of fact-based, like if you've got 300,000 pound Lamborghini, you've got one. You don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to use an ego, but you've just got one. And that's okay. Um, cause some people like Lamborghini. But if, and if you like that too. So speaking yeah. of things we like, I need to take a quick break and I'll come right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back right here as a live cast on Facebook and LinkedIn as we're bringing you all business with Jeffrey Hazel. I'm talking with Rob Moore, a co-founder of Progressive uh, Property. And this guy is retired, unretired, retired, unretired. We're talking about what drives us and that need you know, to be a little bit selfish. There's no problem with that. We've got to check those things off. We got to calm those inner demons. We have to calm those little, we have to talk to those little voices in our head sometimes. And then you get to a point where I just don't give a shit. And, uh, you know, as much, and, and that's a wonderful place for us to be. So you've retired and unretired several times. Why? Um, well, I suppose the first time I wanted to get to a position of financial retirement, yeah. Um, because that was what I was looking for, that financial freedom. And I bought uh, a few properties. I can't remember how many it was. It was less than 50, more than 20 um, in my sort of, in fact, it was probably nearer 50 in my second year of investing in property. And I worked out through the asset base and the income. I didn't need to work anymore. But then when I had a week or two off and my business partners in Bulgaria taking a little bit of time off, I'm thinking, oh, is this it then? I'm not even 30. Yeah. I've got 60 yeah. years of my life and this is it. What do I do? Nothing. And, and I actually really didn't enjoy it at all. And it was only a few weeks of thinking, oh, I don't need to work anymore. Great. And it was weird when I thought I don't need to work anymore. It was like I wanted to work more. So that was the first time. And then. Um, Did, didn't you have any hobbies or anything? Well, no, I mean, this, this is the problem. I mean, if I had, maybe I wouldn't be doing this, Jeffrey. But, um, uh, but yeah, like we need to go back. But um I have, you gotta I have a per, you gotta have a purpose though, right? Yes. Right, this, right, yes. right? Yeah, exactly. And um, here's the thing: um, what gives people worth, I believe, is value. When you're valuable, you feel worth because you fill yourself up through being useful to other people. I think there's something um, intrinsically human about that. So when you retire, because you can, on the income from a few dozen properties, and you're not adding any more value what do you do? And, and then you see other people running training companies, doing podcasts, doing books. You're like, well, I could do that. I've got the knowledge. I've got the experience. And then your purpose starts to come in from within you. And, and actually I started to find my purpose when I took some time out to think about what it was. So it certainly yeah. served me, Jeffrey, because it gave me time to think. And also I'm not knocking retirement. Well, I'm knocking it for me. I'm just saying, try it. Get, you, get yourself in the financial position where you can retire because I bet you what you perceive you want it to be or what you thought it would be, I bet you, you know, you'll find something different. Um, I've retired 
three or four times for different well, reasons. But, Second but Rob, if I can, it, but it also, by doing that, gives you the ability to go to a greater good, either for yourself or for other people. So, you know, some people will say, like with capitalists, oh, they're all terrible. No, they're not. The free enterprise system is a wonderful thing because it gives us, without money, that you can't truly impact everything. Now, you might can be Mother Teresa and so forth, but I'll guarantee you Mother Teresa would have liked to have had a bigger budget to do the things that she could do, right? So I think that's important for us to do. And I think that's what it gives you when you're able to get to that level. Yeah. So for example, I set up my foundation, I think I was 37 years old. Most people set up their foundation when they're 65 and they made their billions already. I was in a financial position to be able to do that very early. And also because I'd taken various times out to think about what I want to do with my life, I can go, okay, well, how can I make the biggest impact? Have a foundation. So had I not retired two or three times, I might not have been able to find my purpose, which is one thing I definitely have done, um, Jeffrey, to work out what I want to do that's not just selfish, to work out what's meaningful. Um, Another reason I retired was because I removed myself from the need to be operational in my business. So we knocked my office down in the, I had a big office in my office. As you, you tend to get into traps, you know, you right. want a really big, a big office in your office with a massive boardroom and all this kind of stuff. But what's the point? So um, I became mobile, a laptop and phone, access my um, data anywhere in my company, anywhere in the world, knock the office down. So we had more room for our staff. And I did that so that my company wasn't reliant on me to grow. So if I wanted to sell it, I could sell it. If I wanted to scale it, I could scale it. And if I wanted to travel the world, I could travel the world. The next time I retired was when my son got really successful at golf. He was playing in the world championships at five years old and six years old. We traveled around the world doing the golf. So really these mini retirements, because looking back, they're just mini retirements. Right. They've enabled me to do more meaningful things with my life, spend loads of time with my son, make my company robust for another 50 years of growth, find my own purpose, set up my own foundation. So in that regard, they've been gifts, but what they never were was stopping having a purpose. You know, it's interesting because I'm thinking back that I retired and I retired. Well, I wouldn't say I retired, but what I did was every time I did a big thing, and I bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, billions of transactions. So like when I sold out of one company or we had a hostile takeover another, you know, went for $2 billion. What did I do for the next six months? I took some time off. I thought. I thought about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. I thought that was really good. Hey, let's take a quick break, and I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Tisha Hammond asked this great question. Rob, who invested in the concept of selfish, selfless in you? Who, who kind of put that inside of you? Or did you come up with that? Because I think it's a pretty unique kind of concept. Um, If I could credit one person, it would probably be someone who's impacted my life in quite a great way. And his name is Dr. John Demartini. Um, And I've studied him endlessly and um, would regard him as a mentor of sorts. Um, Now, a bit of context. I'll be really quick, though. Probably up until the age of 26, I was a glass half empty kind of guy. I was negative. I was a victim. I was down on myself. I was complacent, cocky, arrogant, and and I'd blame the world. And I felt like I was unlucky and everyone else was lucky. And if you made millions, you're a drug dealer and you're evil. That sounds like most Manchester United fans. What's the deal? Yeah, Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, (laughs) And then I got into personal development. 
Tony Robbins yeah. seminars, Chris Howard seminars, doing all this personal development, and I, I flip the complete other way. Happy, clappy, whoop, whoop, rah, rah, everything's positive. I'm optimistic, glass half full, except you're still empty inside or when you're alone. Um, and I felt like my personal j- development journey took me to the point where we need positivity and negativity. There's upside in every downside and downside in, up, in every upside. Um, and so that kind of led me somehow to the work of Dr. John Demartini. Um, and, and he believes there is, um, everything is in optimal balance. Um, so, you know, your hardest challenges can bring your greatest moments of, uh, of learning. Um, you, you know, if you're feeling depressed, it's because you're perceiving all downside. If you're feeling infatuated or related, it's because you perceive all upside. So I, I suppose the balance of selfish and selfless as a concept probably started to ideate from his work. Um, but then when I wrote my book, Money, which sold really well in the UK and um, has been an influential book here, um, I believe if you want to be wealthy, you have to balance the selfish and the selfless. If you're too selfless, you just give all your money away. You've got guilt. You're, you know, you're just literally a charitable or you just can't retain any money because you don't feel you deserve it. That's selfless. If you're too selfish, people will think you're greedy. And neither of those extremes are going to have you. You might make some money, but you're never going to retain it. So you're you, not going to be happy either no, way. Either one of them, you're not going to be happy. No, either side of that spectrum, you're never happy about it, right? Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And so you've got to, you, of course, you know, you got to keep a close eye on your management accounts. You've got to have a fair and sustainable profit margin. You've got to reinvest into innovation and growth. You, you know, you, you've got to negotiate. You've got to do deals. All of these things that they seem selfish that you're focused on the, the numbers of your business. Um, and if you only do those, they are. But of course, if you've got a meaningful products and service that changes the world, that's, that's the selfless. Um, I think as humanity. So if, if Dr. John sparked it off and then I went into my book, Money, and realized, I mean, capitalism, people criticize that, like you said, but that's a perfect illustration of the balance of selfish and selfless. We've got transactions. We've got fair exchange. Um, if I create a product <clears throat> that is selfless in that I'm creating it for someone else, but the fee is selfish in that I'm getting the fee. So in any transaction, there's selfish and selfless. Um, and then I guess I just carried on exploring that. Uh, and like survival in humanity. If you're not selfish, you're not going to survive. You ultimately need to be selfish to look after your family. You have to eat. Even I say even the guys serving at the soup kitchen's got to have soup. Yes, right? yeah. 100%. And so if you're too selfless, you self-negate. But if you're too selfish, you negate others. So as a, as a society and a species to evolve and survive, we need a fine balance between selfish and selfless. Yeah. So you, you also talk about disrupting things in terms of, you know, a lot of people say if it ain't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it kind of thing. But I, I'm a real believer in breaking things all the time and continuing improvement. And you do the same thing. So how do you go about breaking things? Well, it's interesting that saying a lot of these sayings that are conventional wisdom aren't wise. Um, right. so that's a good one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if it ain't broke and you don't fix it first, someone else might come and break it for you. So I really believe in disrupting yourself. I'd much rather disrupt my own company and figure out what's wrong with it than have a competitor come and kick me out of the water. So if you think about evolution and the growth of a company is continual improvement, constant and never ending improvement. Um, and, and I think where my mindset shifted on this, this was like 15 years ago, Jeffrey. I remember, and I'm sure we've all gone through this, when we do something and we want things to be easy. 
and we want things to be calm and we want things to be nice. And when we've solved a problem, we want all the pain to go away. And I learned fairly early on in my business career, the reward for solving a problem is a bigger one. And if you think anything else, if you think the reward for solving a problem is freedom and happiness and sitting on a beach, I think you're naive. The reward for solving a problem is a bigger one. The reward for solving that one is a bigger one. The reward for solving that one is a bigger one. So either you disrupt that by solving the bigger problems first, or you wait for a lockdown or a recession or a competitor to disrupt, to disrupt you out of the water completely, and then you're dead. Well, and then you're a victim. And that's not a good place for most business people to be. I think it's unique about, so for instance, let's take that same analogy. For years, the limousine, the cab business has been perfect. You know, it, you, you stepped outside, there was a cab, you got in it, boom. And then came Uber and Uber changed the way that we look at that and then Lyft and so forth. That's a prime example of you getting handed your lunch by not going out there and looking in a different way, right? And in England, what did all the taxi drivers do? You know, they um, strikes and they wouldn't drive and now oh, I'm a victim and this isn't fair. Instead of actually putting bottles of water in their own taxi cabs and cleaning their own taxi cabs and being yeah. polite to their customers like the Uber drivers were, that's what they should have right. done. Yeah, and some mints. Mints go a long way. Just some little yeah, breath mints. Yeah, they do. Bottle of water, <laughs> mints, and, and being, being polite and nice, yeah. Yeah, we got about three minutes, and I want to cover this because you hold the record for the longest individual speech marathon. How long was it, and why the heck did you do it? So it's 47 and a half hours straight, um, and the reason I did it was because I wanted to do something unique in our industry. I wanted to do something that was memorable, but press-ups and chin-ups aren't relevant to my market or doing you know long walks or runs. So I thought, well, what record could I break? And I've done a lot of speeches, and I'm quite well known in the UK for talking a lot, basically. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And we did some research, and we found the, the length of the world record. And I naively, because I, I can be quite naive, Jeffrey, and just, oh, yeah, let's give that a go. I can oh, do let's that give it a go. Let's give it a go, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I regret, regretted that. So I completely lost my voice on the second night. But I got through it and we broke the record and it was fun. And I just talked about property and business and I could talk about property and business for 147 hours. So um, that was okay. It was good fun. And we raised uh, a lot. We raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity as well. Oh, oh, fantastic. I was going to ask what was the real purpose? Was it for a sales funnel or in this case, you raised money, which is great. Well, actually, it was, it was all. If you think about ultimate fair exchange, ultimate fair exchange is make profit ourselves build my brand and exposure and make a lot of money for charity. So we ticked all three boxes. Which is a, a wonderful thing. Would you do it again? Uh, well, honestly, probably not. A, because no. I know how hard it is. And sometimes it's just good to not know how hard it is. Um, <laughs> but I want to do something different, I think. Just something, yeah. I always like to try and do something a little bit different. And I bre we broke the team world record for the longest team speech afterwards. But since then, a few people have gone for my record. And I'll do something different this time, I think. Uh, all right. So with the uh, last question is, with every crisis, there's always opportunity. What's the biggest opportunity you see in property right now? And well, I think prices in the UK, I can only speak for the UK. US is a different market. In the UK, the prices are probably going to drop. I think that a big um, opportunity is in um, buying commercial because a lot yeah. of retailers are going to be empty. So we, we convert commercial into residential here in the UK. We're doing a hundred unit conversion as we speak in the center of town, 85,000 square foot. So I can see empty retail and commercial being converted into dwelling, whether it's 
serviced accommodation and sort of rental by the room or multi-lets or, or just um, straight residential. I think that's a big opportunity. And I think there's going to be a delay, but I think prices are going to come down because of what's happened in the world. Yeah, I think it's going to take a while. We're not seeing it in the U.S. yet. I think New no. York, everyone's saying New York is going to experience it. A lot of people are going to say San Francisco, which has really become expensive. I, today, Google just announced Google just announced that for another year, their employees are going to be working from home. So wow. when you think about the real estate that Google has or in the other bigger companies, that's going to have a massive impact. And really, it's got to have a massive impact on because they can't have those places just sitting there, you know, quiet. No, no I mean, th- these things take in, in real estate, especially because it's illiquid. It takes so much longer to come out. We've got all the furloughs got to end. Who's going to not have their jobs or when, you know, all the delay in taxes that we were given as grace that's going to have to be paid into this year, mid next year. So when all that comes out in the wash, what the real employment figures are, um, then we'll really know what's going to happen. And I don't think I've met anyone in business that doesn't think employment, unemployment's going to be high and prices are going to get hit. Yep, prices are going to get hit and we're going to see some inflation without question because you can't keep giving out that money and doing that without some other uh, price to pay. Hey, Rob, what a pleasure, brother. It's good to have you here. Good to see you. Enjoy yourself. You. We'll see you again. I appreciate you being in all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you very much. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I, there's a couple of things. I really enjoyed this conversation. I liked him a lot. And you could see if you actually watch the video of this, uh, you can see he gets into it. And you could tell even in his voice, he really gets into the interview, which is great. But you know what I learned? We're still changing. We have to prove ourselves sometimes. And by proving ourselves, it makes us do certain things. But the continuous improvement leads us to a next plateau. And that's what I was thinking. And the other piece I, I liked was, you know, if you don't solve your problems in your business, and we all have problems in our business, your competition will solve it for you. So if you haven't figured out the bigger purpose of your business and you don't do it, then your competition will do it. And I thought that was really good. And I used the example from Uber because I thought that was an interesting one. But there's so many like that where you see these disruptive forces like out of nowhere, boom, they're worth billions of dollars. Well, can you do the same thing? That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget, we have so many great shows on C-Suite Radio. If you were looking for another business podcast, go to our site, csuiteradio.com, c-suiteradio.com, and we'll tell you, uh, show you a few more shows, lots more shows. And uh, don't forget to tell your friends about this show because that's how we get great listeners. Thanks so much. Cheers. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.